0: you hadn't already, you should flip your Bibles to the whole whole back end there, to 2 Timothy, which we'll come back to in a minute. Um, But in thinking about this week and uh, doing some reading and thinking about things, it seems one thing for sure, a lot of churches are kind of controversial on Mother's Day service. Do you really pause and do one since it's not part of the quote-unquote church calendar? uh, It's not a specific spiritual holiday, all that. So the question then, you know, that I had jotted was, you know, should I really be pausing? And it was an instant yes from God. It was an instant yes. And all throughout his word uh, says why. Uh, one, just the very word in the very chapter that we're going to get to really at the very end of our, our passage, because we got decided to work this thing out. But just in the passage that he picked out, look at what he's, he, what, look at some of the words that he's writing Timothy. Somebody evidently he hadn't been with in a little bit of time. So he's been separated from him. Uh, he hadn't exactly uh, been close with him physically. And some of the things he writes, man, I really miss being with you. I miss the joy and the sincereness and the laughter that we, we had together when we were, were close to one another. And, and I had to almost snicker when God led me to that passage because I think a lot of us can probably relate with, man, I really miss being with people. I miss laughing. I miss, you know, high fives and, and fist bumps and, and handshakes and, and hugs and, and all that kind of stuff. I miss that connection. And that's because God has made us to, to have a desire for that kind of connection. Um, And that's a very good thing. Uh, You know, and and I was speaking with a gentleman this week and he said, man, I think, I think, especially in the Southern Baptist churches, you know, it's going to be so different when we go back. And I was trying to say, you know, what are you, what are you getting? He goes, man, I don't know. You think all them, all them sweet old ladies that always want to hug and stuff. He goes, maybe they won't ever hug us again. And and I said, man, I think here in the deep South, we'll get over uh, the fear of anything and we'll get right on back. Some of us hadn't lost it, but, We'll get right on back to uh, to that hugging and that touching and that connection because we're we're just made that way, you know. We 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 have a drive for that, and that's what that's what Paul's writing here when he writes it to him. He goes, "Man, I just miss being together." Um, in a lot of Paul's letters, unfortunately, because he was in prison when he wrote a lot of them, uh, he had to write and say, "Man, I miss being with you guys." Um, you know, and, and you could even go back to to uh, one of them that he writes with with Thessalon Thessalonians, and he's saying, you know, he reminds them over and over, "Don't give up meeting together." They had gave up meeting together because there was, there was a sickness and a disease, uh, running around and, and they didn't want to, you know, let that overtake the, the future of the church. So, no, Mother's Day is not specifically on a spiritual calendar. Uh, but I think this year more than ever, moms probably need some recognition. Um, women need some recognition. Parents need some recognition. Uh, moms are, are overworked. <laughs> Uh, They're super lonely from being sheltered. Uh, This lockdown has been like a pressure cooker for a lot of people. Uh, It's allowed us to see the cracks and the crevices uh, in our in our marital relationships and also in our parental relationships. Uh, It's revealed to parents probably just how uh, much we rely on activities, uh, just how much time activities take up. Uh, Some parents have finally discovered that man without screens and technology. I don't know how my kid's going to make it. Uh, some of us have wanted to throw those technological devices away, uh, because that's all we've seen our kids do. Some of us say, you know what, just give it to them so we can have peace, uh, for a few minutes. Uh, but we're all over the place on, on all this type of stuff. And then there's this thing of how our world is transitioned when it comes to parenting. And and here's what I've really figured out, you know, not to to get on dad since it's his mother's day, but when a dad is not present, Satan wants to take that position. And and what we see happening when parents aren't. Present Satan wants to take that position. He wants to be the parent. What I mean by that is this: we we see the devil wanting us to like outsource parenting. You know, you don't have to parent yourself. You send them somewhere to get parented. You send them to the neighbors, or you send them to a babysitter, you send them to a to a daycare facility, you send them here, you send them there, or or, or whatever it is. And when we outsource our parenting, we are we get in trouble because I don't know for sure that I want exactly what's going on outside these walls to be the parenting influence that my children receive you know we, we've got phrases like it takes a village to raise a child but it shouldn't it should not take a village to raise a child it should take a mother and a father uh that is the way god designed it, and that is the way god set it up and i am thankful and, and super grateful when you're surrounding yourself with the right type of village uh to get that extra help for for that grace period and that mercy when, when mom and dad just need it uh but man let's let's beware. sometimes the village outside that we're letting raise our children uh, is kind of scary on, on what they're raising and what they're allowing to take place. So this morning, as we look at this, I just want to start off by letting us realize that the Bible stresses the vital role of women in the transition of faith. Um, all throughout scripture, from the very beginning to the very end, even what we picked this morning, uh, not just in the Old Testament, but with Paul, when he calls out Timothy's mom and Timothy's grandma, you know, he honors them and he tells them in verse five, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And he reminds him, it's this faith that, that was instilled in you that you need to be living out. And what is it that he's living out? Look at 6 and 7. The things he wants him to live out is, is the laying on of hands, the power of prayer. So therefore, he was taught that stuff. God didn't give you a, a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. These are the things that were instilled in him in his home, and hopefully he's taking with him, to live in the world. And, and there's probably why Timothy becomes uh, one of the early beginning uh, pastors in Scripture. So if Paul calls out moms and grandmas for a worthy conduct, I think we should, too. Um, and, and I just want to share briefly this morning, just just a couple minutes, on why I asked my mom to read this morning. Because as, as Timothy had a, a mom and a grandma that allowed him to take up, I did, too. I'm grateful that I have a mom who made sure that, that I stayed in church. Um, I'm grateful that I have a mom who has taught me what forgiveness and love and mercy really is, despite some of the knucklehead things my dad and me and my sister may have done. Uh, you know, I, I am thankful for a mom. And, and I don't know if many of you noticed, but one thing that's come to my mind during this 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 lockdown thing is this. I remember, you know, we talk about how small the number is on the live. I remember sitting at the back of a bookstore right after the, the pastor had left Brookhaven. And, and I was told, hey, you need to preach so that we have something going on on, on Sunday. And, and me being kind of awestruck by it. And I remember having about 10 people uh, out in front of you. And I'll be honest with you. You know, maybe I shouldn't have this thought. But in all honesty, when you when you work full time and, and you just had a baby, we just had Paxton at the time. Uh, man, I was I was kind of stressed out. I was kind of uh, to the max on getting used to that type of thing. So I remember after a couple of weeks in and it was still only nine or 10 people, I very distinctly remember saying, man, it, are we really supposed to even be doing this? Like, like, should we just let this bookstore become back a bookstore, and and all of us just go join local churches and sit on the back row and hide for a little while and blend in? Like, what, what really should we we be doing? And and I remember after everybody left, my mom standing in the middle of that room, looking at me because of all the the naysayers and the things and and all the stuff that was going on, and she said, "We're going to show them one day. We're going to show them one day." And what she meant by that, you know, and, and, and maybe it wasn't the, the spiritual wording of, of, of all wording, but what she meant by that was, was we, me and her, we as a family, we as, as a church that was going to grow, we as the body of Christ, we're going to come back and recover from that fall. We were going to grow. We were going to be booming. I don't know if she ever had any uh, idea that we were going to have 13 acres, three buildings and, and, and 700 viewers sometimes on a, on a Facebook channel, which just blows my mind, uh, but we recovered. And I'll be honest, at one of my moments when I was contemplating and wondering, you know, what, what to do, uh, how to handle. And I didn't want that on my wife. She just had a child and, you know, Mother's Day, y'all's hormones go crazy right after y'all have kids. And we, we understand that. And if men haven't understood that, we have, we have failed, uh, in, in our understanding of genetics. So, so, you know, I didn't want to throw that on her, but it was, it was that wiser woman at the time, my mom, who had already had all the hormone arranges, uh, that was able to come through. And, and say, you know what? We, we will get through this. So, so if Paul can call out Timothy's mom, and, and I want to share something with you from Romans 16, too, on another mom that he calls out, we should be calling out our moms. And we should be grateful for it. And, and if your mom's not with you, I know that's a very sad thing and hurt, but be grateful for the memories you got. Be grateful for the, for the moments that you have and, and lock those things down, you know, for, for the future when you need them. Uh, so if you're at your house or if you're, if you're live right now, only a couple of us have our moms with us, you look at your mom right now and you tell her, I love you. I'm grateful for you. You are awesome because she needs to hear it more often. So right now, go ahead. Y'all are the only two girls, so. Yeah. Joe made it very clear this week. He said it. it's not wives' day. It's, it's mother's day, so I hope the girls got something something going. I told him I would be weary of walking that plank. Um, hopefully, he heeded my advice. <laughs> Hey, turn to Romans 16 well, if, if you want to turn, if not, it's on the screen. Romans 16, verse 13. I want to share something really cool with you that I caught this week. And I tell you, this morning is, just so you know where we're going, if you're holding these, these five-point things, we'll get to five points, but they're at the very end and kind of like a wrap-up of all this stuff. Because God, God wanted me to tell all of us, I fully believe, on how important and how he looks at women, because that's how we should be looking at women. Uh, and then in doing so, we, we get some lessons from end. But here's what he says in verse 13. He says, hey, say hi to Rufus and to his mother who mothered me and to his mother who mothered me. Now, I don't know if you catch what he's saying here or how many of us. I'll be honest. I was kind of ignorant. I didn't even really know who Rufus was. I had to go do some investigating myself. Uh, Does anybody know who Rufus is? If you're at your house, you can pretend, you know, because nobody can contradict you till here in just a minute when I do. But if you go to Mark chapter 15 and a couple other things in Scripture, Rufus is the son of Simon the Syrian. And if you don't remember, uh, Simon the Syrian was a guy who carried the cross of Christ for the last leg. Uh, the, probably the most painful part of the journey on, on that Good Friday. Uh, which means this, if, if I'm correct in, in uh, using my biblical wisdom to, to understand what, what Scripture is saying. If Simon carried this cross, I guarantee you, Simon went home and shared this experience with his wife, did he not? Right? I, I hope us husbands are, are bold enough in doing that. I, I came home and, and I shared with my wife an awesome F350 conversion dually that we did this week. I mean it was it was one of the first times it had been done locally. Uh, you know we've seen them on the internet, but we had to take apart the front end and make it back to an F250 so that we could run 20 by 12s on the front and, and still keep the duels on the back. And it was 35s, and, and it had a big lip on the front and a bigger lip on the back. And, and I was just excited, and I was ecstatic, and I, and I was wanting to make sure that post was worded right so people understood. And I handed her a phone. I said, hey, you always like to proofread, so check this. And she tells me, I don't even understand what this means. All that excitement, all that ready to share. $5,000 package, people. And she tells me, I don't even understand what that means. Bubble popped. It was over. But my point is this, because she also got word this week that I got to buy a new tire machine this week because we broke one. (laughs) But So she gets the good and the bad. And if she gets the good and the bad, don't you think Simon probably went over and shared that same thing with his wife? Don't you think he went home and he said, you know what? It was the hardest thing I ever had to do. I don't know how Jesus had toted the cross as far as he did, but when he got to that last leg, he was weak and he fell down and he couldn't carry anymore. And the Roman guard, he looked at me and he pointed at me and he let me pick up the cross and he let me tote it the rest of the way. And, And let me tell you about this. Jesus, while I was toting the cross on how he was and how he was acting, don't you think he went home and shared all this with his wife? And don't you think for a moment as a mama, When she saw this changed man, this changed husband, and and that power and that moment of faith, don't you think she shared it with her kids? I believe so, because her kids are mentioned in Mark chapter 15 verse 21, Alexander and Rufus. And most of the time, people are mentioned in Scripture because something significant took place in their life. What if the significant thing that took place in their life just to get their names mentioned in Scripture forever was the fact that their dad taught at the cross for Jesus just a little bit of the way, and their mom then instilled these principles into them? And you're thinking, how do you know it was the mom that instilled these principles? Because when Paul then wrote his letter years later to the church, he said, hey, tell Rufus hello. But while you're telling him hello, please make sure to say hello to his mom, who was like a mother to me. This lady did something special. And we know that she did something special because she's she's mentioned right there in this thing. Who's to say that this woman probably didn't even know who Paul was going to become But somewhere along the way, she came into an intersection with Paul and shared her faith with him. You know, I've often said that I believe it was that Stephen Stoning is what first kicked into Paul's understanding of the gospel right before that Damascus Road experience. I mean, could you imagine looking at somebody you're commanding the the murder of the martyr of and and then smiling and looking at heaven and being like, all right, I'm okay with this. I know where I'm going. I know what's what's up. That stuck in Paul's mind because he wrote about it multiple times. But here he's writing about a woman who who stuck with them as well. So maybe she had planted a seed and maybe Stephen was just a little bit of water or sunlight or, or manure uh, to, to make the seed grow. And then that Damascus Road is where it finally took off. But she did something significant in this and shared it with Paul, the great Paul, who went from from terrorist turned into missionary. You know, and I think if that's something she did, I think I think I think it should inspire us all to understanding that women can teach and women can share their stories and women can, can make things grow without knowing who he would become. She made sure to let the most significant figure in the New Testament know about this Jesus, whatever part of it she knew. And if that's not enough, man, just, just look at what else God says. God says the great tool for salvation for the human race is going to come from a borrowed womb. He had to borrow a womb in order to accomplish his great plan. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. So really, you can say this. Now, I know it's all part of God's plan, so you can do it anyway. But you can almost say like God needed a, a mother's womb, a woman's womb to get salvation to us the way it needed to come. But when the completion of time came, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law. He made sure that, the, that this was the way it was going to come through. Now, think about this. Now, we live in a, in a weird age, man. Probably an age most people ahead of us and generations beyond us would have never thought. We live in an age where sex is glorified and celebrated, but gender is confused. Motherhood is mocked, yet sex is still celebrated. And I just want to make sure we understand by what Scripture says God did not use sex to save the world, He used gender to save the world. There was no sex in His plan. God kind of jumped over sex and said, You know what? I'm going to bypass what the world would celebrate and look at as this great thing. And I'm just going to use gender so while the world was worshiping sex then and still worship sex today god skipped over that and dismissed all that and, and he also dismissed what or used what the world dismisses as unimportant motherhood i mean look at it. it it shocks people they're not amazed by it anymore some people you know you tell somebody you're pregnant unfortunately like oh man well was it planned who cares if it was planned it is a great gift like if you're waiting to get ready, you're never going to have kids because you would never be ready for the things that, that they bring forth. Moms should be honored. God honored them, so therefore we should be honoring them. And then you look at Jesus' example in his relationship to women. All throughout his ministry, he's empowering women for excellence. He's crowning them with honor. Look at, look at just some of the lessons we get from Jesus and his experience with women. He takes a woman whose husband had died, who's in utter poverty, now, I can't imagine, you know, that song we talk about, you know, fear being a liar because we're broken. and I can't imagine where she's at. She's lost her husband. She, she's broke as can be. And it's her that God wants to use as an example to teach the disciples and the others looking about a giving heart. It's her when she drops her two coins and two of the, the smallest amount you could possibly even give. And he looks at his disciples when, when others are giving big checks and, and giant amounts out of their wealth. And she's given all that she had to live on and he honors her. And he basically says this when he's talking to his disciples, he goes, that's the most awesome giver of the day right there. And, you know, his disciples, especially Judas, the, the little money gringing punk of the of the disciples. He, he's probably thinking at the moment, you know, I don't know if you understand, Jesus, but we need bigger checks to make things happen. And Jesus is saying, I don't need bigger checks. I just need obedient people that are, that are going to give out of their heart. And, and, and it's this woman that Jesus chooses to teach his own disciples about the giving of a heart. Again, Jesus then has a conversation later with this Samaritan woman. She's a different race. She's a different religion. She's a different moral lifestyle. She's obviously different. I mean, she's got everything different going against her in a time when talking to different people was outlashed against. She's been through five husbands, yet she's living with another man right now that's not her husband. So she's not the type you Christians would be hanging out with. And, And yet here is Jesus Empowering her and demonstrating to her the excellence of a heart that can win others for Christ. You say, well, what? how do you know that's what Jesus was doing with her? Well, let's look at it. Because after one encounter with Christ, book of John, chapter four, after one encounter with Christ, she goes back to her town and starts a revival. Chapter four, verse twenty nine. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, was what he was calling her out on great things? It was he saying, "Hey, you're a beautiful woman. You're killing it as a mom. You're really doing a good job." No, the things he called her out on was, "Well, you've slept with." We're not going to use any names in here. You've slept with uh, Luke. Oh, there is. Uh, he didn't sleep with that Luke. <laughs> she called out five names. I just ruined that. Sorry. He called out five names. Then he called out the sixth name. He didn't call out anything good about her. But yet, after that calling out of names and calling out of things that she had ever done. She felt like how real he was. And her first question was, could this be the Messiah? Now, here's what's awesome, guys, because this is she gets a place in history as the first evangelist to come back to a town that was not Jews. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that should excite you because I'm not Jewish. You know, so the fact that she went back to a town, that was like she's the first to make it known that God's plan for salvation includes the entire world, not just a select group of people. Now, that took some pretty big boldness at the time. And this is what we would call as, oh, just a, just a woman. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he transforms hurting women into women of excellence, women of honor, and women who are worthy of respect. There, there was a, a woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. There was a, a formal prostitute who, who just sat down and wiped and bathed Jesus's feet with her hair and, and perfume. They're turned into women of excellence in scripture. There's his own mother that God picks out, Mary, who teaches us exactly what it means like means to undergo excellence and suffering to do the will of God. We, we think of the birth that she had to go through and don't get me wrong. I've, I've had the, I don't know if you want to call that pleasure. I've had the, the nightmare of experiencing and watching birth three times. Um And, and it is beautiful. Yes. No, blarkey. It's not, uh, it is rough. It is crazy. It is chaos. Your little five foot three sweet woman will turn in to things that you didn't know she could turn in. I mean, she was just as beautiful as she ever was at that moment. Um, and, and, and she says sweet words and held my hand very softly and, and tenderly. And No, it was rough. It's crazy. But, but here's the thing. So not only did she go through that, she also watched Jesus' life. She watched every time he fell. She, she watched every time he learned to walk. She, she watched every time he, he you know, had problems with, with the kids at school or, or, or whatever. She watched all that. She was there at, at a moment where they lost him. Any mothers ever experienced that? Uh, don't admit it if you had. That's bad. Oh, we got one that's bold enough. We've also experienced it, but we won't admit it. So <laughs> These are the experiences she had, and these sound painful, but let's be honest. She was also there at the death. Now, I don't know how many mothers have experienced that and how gr- grieving that could be, but I can't imagine that moment. She was a woman who was willing to surrender to God's way no matter what. She she completely sacrificed her own will for God's will. What a great lesson we all need taught to us by a woman. Then then there's Mary Mary Magdalene, a woman who was demon-possessed. She she suffered physical or spiritual illness before she ever met Jesus. Then she's transformed into excellence as she meets Jesus and follows Jesus. She's there for all the ministry life. She's there through the crucifixion. She's there through the burial. She's there at the resurrection. And she's the one who's given the honor of all the people to say what Matthew 28 6 says. He's risen. This was a woman that did this. So while we may commonly misconstrue what scripture says about women and we may have, you know, all these ideas and we may fail on the way we're supposed to, church, if we open our Bibles, husbands, men out there, boys, getting ready to, to start dating women and, and learning to treat women the right way. If you will open your word and do things the way God has called you to do them, oh, the difference we could make. Now, now, ladies, understand me. You don't need a man to make you feel significant. You need Jesus to make you feel significant. And that's it. But but let me just be blunt and honest. When I read scripture, men, we are called to be a tool that God is using to make those women feel great, to, to honor them, to treat them with excellence and respect the way that he has. Why? Because God wants to use them too. And I'm talking use them for his purpose Not for hours. Yet we live in a world that has failed to see women and girls the way that that God has. We failed to see their true value. Instead, we we injure them. We belittle them. We step on them. We wound them. We abandon them. we've, We've torn them apart at early ages, unfortunately, through crazy things that are going on in our world today. And if you are one of those women that is feeling that way, I want to make sure you know that God created you and has been searching for you to fulfill his purpose through you. And, and you don't need this world to do any of that. So so point that way. Jesus is willing to heal you. He's willing to mend you. He's willing to bring you back to the glory that he intended to use you specifically for. To you specifically for, guys. He's got a spec Look at Jesus' ministry, by the way. He's got like a special place in his heart for women that have been through hell. I mean, really. Let's just call it what it is. He's got a special place in his heart for women who are hurting. For, for women who had not had the best luck with guys for women who hadn't had the best look with life, for women who were just in messed up areas in their life. And he wants to change him. And none of the women that he ever met did not leave him without being changed. Really, for that matter, no person that ever met Jesus ever left him without being changed one way or the other. Jesus was all about changing the lives of those that he met through. Even if we go back to the very beginning, while we're talking about this thing of purpose, go back to the very beginning of Scripture, when God creates Eve, which, by the way, he created Eve through Christ, according to if you tie the New Testament, and Old Testament together, right? What, what, was his, 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 intention with Eve? He created Eve with intention of excellence. Excellence now. Understand this, women. You need to, that should be your word for the month right now. God created you with the intention of bringing excellence into the world. You're thinking, well, how do you know that? Like, why, why am I more excellent than anything else? Well, let's look at what, what it says at the very beginning when he created. Was the world perfect when God created it? You should know this. All right. Yes. Yes, the world was perfect. God created everything great. It was the first time there was a perfect man, okay? So you women should have amen right there because that was the only opportunity you would ever have for a perfect man, right? That was it. Yet it's at this moment that in the book of Genesis, God says something's not good. It wasn't that it wasn't perfect. It was that it wasn't, and you, look, you gotta look at the word good. It wasn't as good as it could be. So that means God is saying, you know what? This could be even better. So he looks at Adam who was the perfect man And he says, man, the perfect man is missing something. And he messed man up by inventing. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what happened. Get back to it. Here's what he really says, though. He says, Adam needs something that will empower him to be more than good, which means the word excellent. Okay. so take this even further. The good thing or the excellent thing that was missing in Adam was Eve. Eve was created for glory and honor. Eve was created. Her mission was to take things from being good to being excellent. Women, that should make that should make you feel real good because we had good things as men. But if we want excellent things, we need you in our lives. Men, you should amen that. Trust me. It will help you out for the rest of your lives. I'll give you one more opportunity. Right. If you're at your house, you should amen it as well. Right. We were good as men. But God said you need a woman to make you excellent as a man. All right. Any single dude should have been doing like a hallelujah dance just now. And, you know, hopefully cheering it on so that women saw that. You know, we're open to, to understand it, right? Adam knew. Here's, here's what he, what he knew. He knew instinctively that he was supposed to honor and respect this woman. You don't see anything at the very beginning about Adam treating Eve the wrong way, yet you never saw God have to come down and say, Now, Adam, here's the guideline for how you're supposed to treat her. It was an instinct at the very beginning. It was an instinct. No, women do not come with instruction manuals. Okay? It should be an instinct. And think about this. We know this is true because if you, if you are any, in any kind of relationship with the Lord, when you treat a woman bad, don't you just feel like a jerk? Like even, even if like all your buttons have been pushed to the limit and you could say, you know, I deserve to be able to lash out a little bit, you still feel like an idiot when you finally lashed out, right? You still feel like, you know, man, I really blew that, right? Kind of the same thing sometimes when we yell at our kids, right? We instantly, instinctively know these things. And, and here's the beauty behind what Adam instinctively knew. And here's the beauty about yourself as a woman. Because you were created in God's image, you have the purpose of bringing good into the lives of others, not just your husbands, not just your significant others. We live in a day where the the glory of woman, it's been messed up by an industry. It's been messed up as as promoting you in in advertisements, as sexual objects used for pleasure, nothing more. And, And here's what we should look at with the Bible. The Bible doesn't give us any idea what Eve looked like. Now, we joke all the time, and I believe she was perfect. I really do because God created perfect things, right? But we don't know how tall she was. We don't know how short she was. We don't know if she was somewhere in the middle. In all honesty, we don't know if she was skinny. We don't know if she was fat. We don't know if she was shaped like a Coke bottle. You know, we don't know exactly what she We don't know if she was dark. We don't know if she was pale. We don't know if she was somewhere in the middle. We don't know what color her eyes were. We don't know what her hair was like. We don't know what her nose was shaped like. Her lips were shaped like. We don't know any of that because we get so caught up in all this. I'm glad to say that God didn't get caught up in it at all Because Eve's glory and a woman's glory is not defined by her physical appearance. It's defined by how and what God made her for. And and that's it. She brought into the world a new possibility of personal relationship. There have been no personal relationships until then. So you want to know why women bug you for conversation and women want to grow the relationship through communication and trust. and and That's what they were made to do. There was no personal relationships before women were invented. It was just Adam talking to himself. It was just Adam talking to animals. Uh, it was just Adam with nobody talking back to him. Okay, Personal relationships didn't come about to him, so she was made to do this kind of thing. So cherish those personal relationships. She brought into the world a, a new thing. God created her with the ability to build relationships, which tells me this. God had a much greater purpose for women than sex. He had a much greater purpose for women than just procreation. And we look at this word and people use it all the time and say, yeah, she was just created to be my helper. Okay, well, you got helpmate, you got helper, you got what the Hebrew says for that. And then you got, well, we make that. Well, we make that into being something weaker, something lower, something maybe worth a a little less and all that. And, And here's what I want to ask you. If that is true, if that is true, then why can you also note when you look up this, this, this Hebrew word that God is called a helper? Is God weaker? Is God lower? Is God of less value? Because Psalm 54.4 uses the exact same word that's used here when it calls even helpmate. God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my life. Are we to say that God is lower than us? Are we to say that he is weaker than us? Are we to say in any way that he is worth less? Psalm 33.20. By the way, there's probably like 50 verses that say this. There's one point out the two. We wait for Yahweh using his exact name. So there's no no doubt which God we're talking about. We wait for Yahweh. He is our help and our shield. Same word right there, helpmate and shield. Are we to say that God is weaker? Right? No. Now, here's what we need to understand. There there are times where we need somebody different than us to fulfill things we can't fulfill. Good example of this was yesterday. So I had the idea, got the new tube and a dirt bike tire for, for for everybody to ride and and I put it in and we didn't have a bike stand. So I said, well, I will hold up the dirt bike while you guys line up the little tiny washer on this side and the little tiny washer on this side, and we didn't take the caliper off, so you also have to slide the brake caliper through the disc that's attached to the bike wheel and line all that up. Just while I hold the bike, now I consider myself pretty strong. I consider and all talking physical strength, just being honest, not being rude or crude in any way. Let's just understand where I'm going. I consider myself to be much more macho than my my little five foot three, 120 pound wife. Also, way more macho than her Marine sister. Who is just as tiny. Okay, so I'm sitting there and I say, Matt, you know, no big deal. You bring it over. I'll hold this dirt bike up for as long as you need it held up. And you just line up all the stuff. We tried once. We tried twice. We tried three times. We tried four times. There may have been some kicking and squirming after that. So we said, you know what? Let's go eat and we'll come back to it. So we go eat. We come back and we have the idea. You know what? Let's bring... Those two tiny little five foot something, 120 pound women with us over there. Now, I'm saying we sat there for 30 to 40 minutes trying to line this thing up. Didn't work whatsoever. All it did was make us not be the people we should be with words on the inside and thoughts we were having. OK, nothing was going right. But we were macho men. I was holding this whole dirt bike up. No problem. Right. And it just wasn't working. Even to the fact if you could say, well, well, well Matt, my father-in-law would be we're one of the smartest people I know. All kid aside, so if we needed the brain power, we got that at the same time. We had it all, except for two awesome helpmates, because they came over there and it took about three seconds. They took their little tiny hands while I continued to hold the bike up and had those washers lined up and that bolt slid through and the caliber slid right onto the brake pads. That I mean, the the rotor slid right onto the brake pads where it was supposed to be, and, and everything was was great. It took a couple minutes and it was all done. What I'm saying is this. Don't you ever think a helpmate is less or weaker? They're just needed. There's going to be times in our relationships with people, whether it be your marital relationship or other, where, where, where someone is going to be the weaker one. Someone's going to be the stronger one. Or maybe sometimes some people is even going to be on the exact same level. But but here's what I wrote down for for Eve with Adam. And I'm so proud to say that God has done this with my woman as well. It meant that she could rise to whatever level of help Adam needed for the situation Adam was in. Think about that. She could rise to whatever level of help Adam needed for whatever situation he was in, whether it be a dirt bike tire getting lined up or whether it be some motivation to get stuff going in life. Right. Can your woman do that? Can your woman do that? Man, amen it, please. For God's sake, amen right now. Thank you. All right. Man, you guys are killing me, right? Man, trying to help you all out, right? <laughs> here's, the, here's the more accurate depiction than if we look at it this way. Now, now, this is awesome, I think, right? Eve wasn't just a helper. She was an empowerer. She empowered Adam to go to the next level, Right? She empowered mankind to go to the next level. Women have a great ability to empower and inspire others to rise above. Think about it. Hey, man, you feeling bad? You feeling like preaching to 10 people ain't enough, even when it's the wrong thought to have. I'm not saying it was the right thought. Even when it's wrong, thought, there's a woman that will come into your life and inspire you to put on your big boy britches and and quit charging hell with your pants down from last week, right? She'll remind you, pull your pants up, button them up, and let's go. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Women have the ability to inspire people to rise above. That's what God created them to do. And I don't just mean if, if, if they're if they're married. You don't need exactly a husband to be able to do that. A woman doesn't have to be married to empower others because she still empowers others for excellence. Think about it. Some of you women have been empowered by other women more than ever any man. She empowers other women. She She empowers children. Think about it. I know women who aren't even technically, quote, unquote, what we would call mothers, but they're the greatest empowers of children that the world has seen and the world needs. She empowers situations. She empowers the church. You know, I get asked all the time, well, well, what about what Scripture says about women and the church? And here's my very first thing. Well, if men were doing it, women wouldn't have to fill in the shoes at all. If men were already stepping up to be who they should be, then there wouldn't have been a void for a woman to have to fill in, so we wouldn't even be having the conversation, correct? All right, and that's a whole other bag of worms we could all open later. But let's just be honest about it. It wouldn't be a bag that we even looked at if men were doing what men were supposed to be doing. So women clearly empower the church. Women empower God's plan for the kingdom. Women empower all this. That empowering is what I believe is what got Paul to write the second letter to Timothy. And when he writes and he says this right here at the very beginning, he says a faith that dwelt in you. He's looking at Timothy's family tree. He's checking it out. And some of your translations are going to say live, which is, which is just as accurate because that Hebrew word for dwelt or Greek word for dwelt, I'm sorry. The Greek word for dwelt means to inhabit, to take up residence, to be at home with. So in other words, you could say that this verse is saying to house in you continually. It's there to stay. Faith didn't make a guest appearance a couple times a year in Timothy's home life. Instead, faith was a full-time year-round resident that he got to see lived out in his grandmama and his mom. Lois passed on her legacy to her daughter Eunice. Eunice passed on her legacy in the same kind of faith into Timothy. And that's what Paul's writing. He says, your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. His faith was instilled from these women in his life. And when he uses the word dwells for Timothy, it's a present tense word, meaning that Timothy's faith is alive and it's active because women put it there. We need to acknowledge the fact that sometimes our faith is alive and it's active because a woman has put it there. A mother's duty is to give a child a home of faith and faith a home to a child. That's, that's it. Now, here's some of the principles we gather from that to, to kind of close us out. Number one. Sincere Christ followers stand out. They stand out. Paul is Paul is writing letters to churches, even when he wrote the, to Romans, which would probably have been the biggest actual church body he wrote a letter to, and he still thought enough to call out Rufus's mom. That's a big. I mean, could you imagine? Now understand how letters were written now and how they were presented. When Paul wrote a letter to a church, the way we understand it is that the pastor would then read that letter to the church. That would be part of their their sermon time or their gathering or Bible study or or whatever you want to call it. Right. So could you imagine pastor standing up reading this letter where nobody else's name is mentioned until you get to Rufus's mom? You think that made her smile? I guarantee she felt awesome. You know what I'm saying? Like she was sitting there and and Romans was called out for some of the bad stuff they were doing. So maybe maybe they were already thinking, oh, Paul's going to get us. We dropped the ball here. We messed up. But then that cheerful, hey, he just called me out. You know, I bet she elbowed some of the gals on a row and, and she talked to some of them at the knitting club and the the, the, the flip-flop making team and, and and the mask making team and and all that stuff. I bet they thought she said, hey, did you hear how Paul, he remembered me? Did, did you notice that? Why? Because sincere Christ followers stand out. Paul's in prison. And this time, at least it was a short time. And he even mentions also in this same book, uh, verse 15, and then at the end of chapter four, he says, man, my friends have deserted me. But while I'm being deserted by them, I'm remembering Timothy, and I'm remembering the women in his life. Right? Think, take this a step further. When, when we talk about sincere Christ followers stand out, we should stand out in a way where our standards are different. Paxton is, and, and Reed, well, all the kids, really, they get to an understanding of what the rating for movies is. So they'll instantly say if we're flipping through, and, and here's sometimes we're all messed up too, so I confess a little bit. They're flipping through, and they say, ah, that's rated R, I know I can't watch it. If it's PG-13, he thinks he can ask if some of them are right and some of them aren't, right? I fell into the trap of thinking, you know, it was on a regular TV channel. We don't have all the fancy movie channels and all that stuff. So a regular TV channel. So I said, even though that would be a bad movie normally, on a regular TV channel, we could probably watch it because they edited it enough to, to do that. It's something I wanted to sit and watch, to be all honest. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I was drastically wrong. <laughs> so we changed the channel very quickly. But But here's the thing. Should we even be going by worldly standards when it comes to that? Let's be honest. My 13-year-old don't need to see. Well, I don't have a 13-year-old, but when he turns 13 in a year, he will not need to see the things that's in a PG-13 movie. Two years. Yes, I know, Celeste. September's right around the corner and he'll be 12, though. All right? (laughs) One year and three months. I'm sorry. I'm getting called out like a dad don't know his birthday, right? One year and three months, my boy does not need to see what's on a PG-13 movie. Correct? Correct? If you think I'm lying, how many men love Transformers? Go back to your little boyhood. It's okay. Nobody's going to call you out. You're in a small number today, right? That's the coolest stuff ever, man. Robots transforming into machines and, and all that stuff. Now let's be honest. What's Megan Fox doing for you in that movie? <laughs> oh, no hands up. No hands up. Right? She, <laughs> she's a great mechanic that was able to fix Bumblebee. Bull crap. <laughs> right? I'm calling it. I'm calling bull on that. That is not the reason we like Megan Fox and Transformers. She's also the reason. I don't know if I want my kids watching Transformers when they get 12, right? 13, 11, 10, maybe not even now. Maybe we will stop watching Transformers now, right? Think about it, guys. Think about it. Be honest. Our standards need to be different. And when they're different, they're sincere. We don't need the world telling us our standards for our children. We don't need our children being raised by what psychology says. We need them being raised by what God's wisdom says. Right? I mean, think about this. All the time we're saying, yeah, but, you know, psychology says that the the, the child really needs What does God say your child needs? I'm pretty sure since he invented, designed, and made us, he's got a much better idea than some dude who went to school for four years, eight years, however long. I don't really care. Right? Am I right or not? All right. So sincere Christ followers stand out. We ought to be standing out. Our standards ought to be different. We ought to be we ought to be growing up men, women, and everything all around, we're, we're, and boys, girls, whatever, where they're able to say, you know what, I don't need to be around what's going on over there. And I can tell you right now, that would be one of the most proudest moments for me as a parent, and maybe some of you also as parents can say, is when my child knows his own boundaries, and I don't have to be the one setting them for him. When he says, you know what, in the locker room, because I know what goes on in locker rooms, when he says, you know what, you guys talk about that, I'm going to, I'm going to finish getting ready and changed and get out of here because I got to go. Those would be some of the most proudest moments for me. And when he comes home and says, Dad, uh, they were saying dot, dot, I can't repeat what it says in locker rooms. You guys know what I'm saying, right? Number two, not only sincere Christ followers stand out, which we see in this book, uh, in other letters of Paul, focus on your family first. It ought to be such an obvious thing right there. Focus on your family first. Grandma pointed to her daughter, the gospel of grace. Mom then modeled faith and mentor to her own son. The principle for us is that we got to focus our, our faith on our family first, our family first. Now, whatever your family is, if that's people who come and hang out at your house all the time, if that's just you and a husband, if that's you and all the kids, if that's you and grandkids, if that's you and nieces and nephews that come over, whatever it is. If that's adopted families, I mean, look at how Paul calls out some of these women in these letters. He says, like a mother. Evidently, they weren't his mother. But they had a strong enough spiritual relationship where he looked at them that way. So you don't have to be a biological mother for this to happen, right? You be a spiritual mother to some of these things. Be an emotional mother to some of this this stuff that's going on. Your closest, you say, we're supposed to love our neighbors. Your closest neighbors are your family. You don't get any closer neighbors than your own family. The character of our children tomorrow depends on what we cultivate in them today. The character of our next generation depends on what we're cultivating in the generation today. If we're going to live it out. I mean, I'm sorry, if they're going to live it out, we got to first pass it on to them. They can't live out what we're not passing on. And we can't expect it to continue on if we're not cultivating it in a generation that's going to grow up. Moms, dads, everything in between, don't zone it out. Your first and most important minute, uh, mission in ministry is a ministry to your family. There's a Jewish proverb that says one mother achieves more than 100 teachers. And I believe that to be so true. Maybe we're seeing that panned out right now while we have moms instead of teachers raising our children in the homes for most of the day. Number three, faith is both taught and caught. Taught and caught. Maybe you could, maybe, you should, maybe you should have reworded that. Maybe you should say, faith is, is taught and then caught. Maybe that sounds better for you note takers, right? Look at what the verse says. Chapter, uh, chapter one, verse five. A, felt, a faith dwelt first in his grandma and in his mom. And then he ends it with saying, I'm sure dwells in you as well. What he's saying is that faith that was taught You caught, Timothy, you you caught this thing because it was first taught to you and you knew that it was sincere. I'm going to tell you right now, parents, children know sincere faith versus fake faith. They watch it. They see it, right? You don't want your child saying, oh, you'd be surprised how they act when they're not at church, right? You don't want that. That'd be like the greatest stabbing in the throat ever, right? People may listen to your words, but they're going to watch the way you live with most sincerity. They are, and your children are the greatest that they know if you're the real deal or, or if it's just fake and, and, and spouses if we're not talking kids right now the kids are out the house or they never they never were in the house spouses y'all read each other the same way we know we do because we see each other at darkest moments number four real shortest one write it down because it's super important though there are no perfect moms there are no perfect women there are no perfect people okay And here's a good thing. You don't have to be a perfect parent because God's not looking for a perfect parent. He's also not looking for a perfect woman. He's not looking for a perfect man. You know what scripture tells me every time I read any of the stories, whether we're talking men or women, is that God was looking for ordinary people that he could do extraordinary things through. He was looking for ordinary circumstances where the most faith could be blown up for people to notice. I really like what Matt Chandler says about this. He says, God is awesome. You don't need to be awesome. He just wants you to be obedient. Now that's good stuff. God is awesome. He doesn't need you to be awesome. He wants you to be obedient. Sometimes we think we got to be the awesome one. No, because if you're awesome on your own, guess who doesn't have to be there? Guess who you're not relying on, right? Let God be the awesome one. All right. No perfect moms. Number five. Sadly, unfortunately, what happens in in the life of Timothy that we really don't get unless you read the whole letter and some other stuff is the same thing that goes on today. Even in a less than ideal situation, you can make an eternal impact. Even in a less than ideal situation, you can make eternal impact. And here's what's happening in, in Timothy's life, in case you guys don't know. Timothy lived in a pagan culture. Okay? You read his letters, you read some of the other stuff that goes on. He's in a pagan culture. He's got a pagan dad. I can prove that because when Paul mentions him in, in, in the letter, the only time he mentions him, he says, and your Greek father. So he doesn't talk about him being like mom. He doesn't talk about him being like grandma. He says, that old pagan dad of yours, that old heathen. Right. Whatever, whatever he was doing wrong. He he gets a significant calling that's much different. Unfortunately, we live in a time frame where a lot of women are having to raise children on their own. Whether it be because a man ain't stepping up or a man just ain't there. And like I said at the very beginning, when a man ain't stepping up and a man ain't there, Satan will be the first one wanting to take that role. And if we let him take that role, we fail our children. Women, I'm not saying it's fair. I'm not saying it's nice. I'm not saying it's part of God's plan. But what I'm saying is, unfortunately, in the world we live in, much like Timothy and the, and the culture he was living in, is that sometimes you got to step up and play both roles. You can chalk it up as, man, that just ain't right, and you can do whatever you want. But if you don't do it, it ain't going to get done. That's as simple as it can get, right? We studied Timothy's faith and how it was impacted. His dad didn't do any of the impacting. Which you can say it this way, Then, moms, you can spiritually mentor your children with or without a man. Now, I'm not excluding dads because I said with or without. All right, but the, the fact of the matter is this mom's got a greater mission field because of the fallen world we're living in And some of the some of the boys and some of the men would not be the boys and men They are if it hadn't been for moms willing to step up and fill those roles Okay And and, and sometimes that's just broken homes where where a mom is tempted to be the the cool mom But i am be honest with you being the cool mom leads to destruction You can be a cool mom and be a firm mom Okay I I disliked my mom's rules greatly for many, many, many years, many, many, many years. But I will promise you this. I would not be nowhere near where I am today. Both with my family, my wife, my 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 career, my, my calling, my school, any of it. If it hadn't been for her being that really, really mean mom for a really, really long time. Okay. Way past 18, by the way, for a little bit of it. Okay, so if you think at 18 it just magically disappears, it don't. They stay the really, really mean mom because the really, really mean mom is what leads to a really, really awesome uh, 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 eternal existence. Okay, plus now I know I can leave my kids with her without any worries and any doubts, although she's not a really, really mean grandma. So maybe that doesn't work. Right. (laughs) Women. I know you want men to help you with your job. You need men to help you with your job. We live in a fallen world. You can do it without us. Okay, you can do it without us. Jude says this in chapter, uh, verse three. I'm sorry, there's only one chapter in Jude. I did that twice now today. Jude, verse three. did I was talking with Chris earlier. Contend for the faith that once was for delivered for all the saints. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What this is saying is we have a job to sow salvation into our children into the next generation. Faith has got to be delivered to the next generation. When mothers model genuine faith, salvation can be sowed in the soil of their children. Timothy heard the gospel, but he still needed to repent and receive salvation on his own. Don't miss that part. He still had to do part on his own, but he had to get it planted. You can say it this way. Christ must first be at home in your heart before he can be at home in your home. Christ must first be at home in your heart before he can be at home in your home. Timothy saw two sincere Christians every single day, fully devoted, completely committed. And Timothy knew it. I told you earlier, kids got like that phony faith detector. They they know when it's real and they they know what it's not, right? So so ask yourself, maybe maybe you need to ask yourself, maybe you need to write this down to look at in the future. Do your children do your grandchildren use you as a godly guide? Do believers outside, whether they're your kids or not, good friends, women who you hope to inspire, Men who you hope to inspire in, in a good, godly way, do they see you and do they use you as a godly guide? Moms, everybody, really, if you want to instill authentic faith into your children, you better make sure that your faith is real for real. You better make sure that your faith is real for real. If you're going through the motions spiritually, your kids are going to eventually see it. Tragically, if you're going through the motions, your kids are probably going to end up mimicking it later, if not, they're already. Okay? Maybe you could could ask it this way. Is your faith actual or is your faith an act? Is your faith actual or is your faith an act? I like the way that guy put that. As you demonstrate your faith consistently, gathering, growing, giving, and going is when you send the strongest message to to your children. Timothy's environment was great for the production of faith. So great, in fact, that that we're going to talk about some of the things that, that Paul writes for him here at the very end. Things that we would want our children to have written about them. But think. How productive is the environment you're making for your family? How authentic is the faith that you're living out? How, how good is the relationship that you're living out with other people in your life? Our, our kids, unfortunately, they learn a lot about relationships by watching our relationships. Whether we're talking friendships, loving relationships, or, or anywhere else. Number two, we said this one already. We don't need psychology to do it. We need God's word to do it. Share scripture. If you're going to sow salvation, you've got to share scripture. Uh, mom read that last part of, of Timothy's letter. Chapter three, verses 14 and 15. And he comes back to it. He says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned. What you firmly believed. Knowing from who you learned it. You know, these ladies, you've seen them. You know, they're real. Your phony faith detector never went off. And now from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Wow. That that Greek word there for, for from whom? Is a plural word, so I just want to point out I believe he's talking about grandma and mom again. That's the only two plural people he's been talking about. A lot of people want to say he was talking about himself. I've, I've never read anything in Paul's writings where he brags about himself doing anything spiritually for anybody. Not, even, when he, even when he sounds like he's bragging, when he gives his, his resume of how perfect of a religious person he was, it was sarcastic. You know, he was saying, you know, I did all this and I was still wrong at that time. So, so I think he's talking about the, these ladies. The word childhood. I love this. It can refer in the Greek from a newborn baby to a toddler before they're even able to walk. Now, now, here's what that means. Before Timothy could even crawl, these women were teaching him Bible stories, which would have been what? Old Testament stories, right? That's why I love specifically all Sunday school, but specifically Carla when she teach Sunday school. I love her passion for wanting to teach these kids hands-on stuff that took place. I love that she takes stories that would be so far over their heads sometimes and she simplifies them down so at least they can grab just a nugget of information. Because if they can get that nugget of information, it can grow into a great oak tree sometime later on. I love the volunteers and the workers we have for kids Haven. I love the volunteers that have a passion for wanting to teach kids that stuff. I can't wait for the, I know some of you are enjoying the break, but I can't wait for the time that we can get back to having kids have so our kids can be learning on their level the things they need to grow up a faith that will last for generations to, come generations to come. And generations to come and generations to come and generations to come. In Ephesians, Paul also writes, and this is harping on men, I guess, but he writes and he says, Fathers, if you're not doing your job, it's going to not only mess up the next generation, but the generation after that and the generation after that and the generation after that. Meaning this, if he's talking about all parents and all leaders of of children, all all guiders of children, if we don't do our job, we're not just messing up the next generation. We're messing up their generation after that and the generation after that and the generation after that and the generation after that, that. which the opposite means to be true, too. If we're doing it right, then we're growing them up the right way. Mothers, it's never too early to start teaching the Bible to children. I love when 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 we even had a, a baby in the belly. And, and, and crystal would would talk to it and, and read to it and all. I thought that was the weirdest thing ever to be honest, because who knows if they actually are hearing and, and seeing all of it. Studies say they do, so it was good, but I believe that's what instilled our kids to love to read and, and talk so very much um yeah so see she did do something with it, right? It's also never too late if you hadn't started already to start teaching Bible, so it works both ways right and and i am not talking about books, I'm talking about his book, his wisdom, Romans 10 seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Remember what I talked about Timothy? Timothy lived in a pagan culture. He had a pagan father, yet he knew scripture from infancy. His mother and his grandmother didn't let his jerk of a dad or the environment that they lived in or the village that they were around change what he could become. They didn't worry about that. They taught the way they should teach regardless of it. If you want to do what scripture says to make a son or daughter wise for salvation, it means to work hard to connecting all the stories so that your children know they all point to Christ. I guarantee it as as his grandma and his mom taught him all those Old Testament stories. They were also pointing to Christ every single time. And this come to pass and this come to pass and this come to pass. It's one of the reasons we pick the, the book that we give at child dedication uh, for, for all our parents. The Jesus Storybook Bible. It has a tagline that says every story whispers his name. Every story whispers his name because that's what it is. Every story in scripture, we should be whispering the name of Jesus back to him. And if we're doing all this right, and we're leading this right, then we can get to this, this last little thing I want us to look at, where we can, not only can we start serving, but our children will start serving. Look at what he says, Acts chapter 16, last official verse, one through three. Here's what Luke writes. So this is a different person, so you're not getting a biased opinion of, of just Paul. Here's what Luke says. Paul came also to Derby and to Listeria, A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So even Luke, even Luke says, you know what? His mom, his grandma, they were good. His dad was an idiot. He was well spoken of by brothers. That's my translation. Sorry. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they knew that his father was a Greek. They knew that his father was one of them. In the groups that they were trying to minister to the most. Here's some character qualities we see in Timothy that no doubt were passed down from the women in his life. First one, he was a strong believer. Mamas, if you want your children to be strong believers, you better be a strong believer. Other ladies, other men, whatever, I don't care, this goes for everybody. If you want those under you to be strong believers, you better be a strong believer. Look at what Luke says. He says disciples. Now, now otherwhere, other where Luke writes in the book of Acts, he talks about them being believers. He talks about them being followers. And he didn't use either of those words here for, for Timothy. He said he was a disciple. Why? Because disciples like next level. Because a disciple is not only one who's going to learn, but who's also going to follow what they learn. A disciple is somebody who's serious about Christ, not just one who's going through the motion. When Luke thought enough to call him a disciple, he's saying, man, this guy was the real deal. Scripture tells us we're called to be disciples and also make disciples. Timothy was was a full fledged follower, not just a fan of Jesus. What else do we see with Timothy that we would hope our kids have? I believe he had a good reputation. Look look at what Luke said. Everybody's well spoken of this guy. Everybody's well spoken of despite who his dad is, despite the town that he comes from. People knew Timothy as a man of integrity, a man of the word. He was rock solid. He was rock solid. He was also available. He was also available. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him is what the verse says. As you read the book, Acts, you'll see that he knew how to minister. He understood that it meant you're going to have to leave home and you're going to face hardship. Now, just to be because I'm sure a lot of families are joined in to watch just to be when you understand hardship. Could you imagine being a full grown man called to ministry and also called to circumcision at that stage in life? That's what it said. Read it. Paul said every man just shifted in their seats a little bit for those that can't see it right. That's what Scripture said. Scripture said he called him and he said, you've got to be circumcised because these people know who your dad is and they're going to hold you accountable and they're going to judge you that way. Now you say, well, that's not fair. They don't get the right to judge me that way. You're right. You could say that. But Timothy was also bold enough to say, I don't want to give them a single reason. Even if it means extreme pain and extreme discomfort, I don't want to give them any reason to doubt my authenticity in my relationship with Jesus. Wow. that that's putting your money where your mouth is, amongst other things. Okay. Man, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I can't think of anybody like Timothy. Look, listen to what he writes in this one. For I have no one like him who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Now I'm just pointing out some of this stuff at the end because I know as a parent, I would love for these things to be said about my boys and even my daughter. I would love for them to say, man, he was a disciple. He's got a good reputation. He was sold out for Jesus. He was available to help when needed. He was willing to go through pain for things that mattered most. And he actually believed and stood for. I love that. So when Paul continually has to say these things and he says, I look for other people. Now, Paul was a strong disciple. He was a strong teacher. Don't you think he was surrounded by a lot of good guys? The first time I ever read that verse, I'll be honest. I got a little upset for him because I was thinking about poor Titus. I've shared with you before, man. I I studied Timothy and Titus more than any other two guys in Scripture because they were probably the same age I was when they started pastoring, okay? And in studying them, I'm thinking, man, poor Titus. He didn't get his name mentioned for that. It said I searched everywhere, and the only one I could find was Timothy. But I don't think that would have hurt Titus' feelings. I think he would have said, you know what? I need to step up my game then. I need to step it up. Competition raises the bar, right? Competition raises the bar. We need a little competition to raise the bar for us. He thought so highly of Timothy, he couldn't wait to unleash him for ministry. He couldn't wait to unleash him. Can you imagine that viewpoint for our children? If we've raised our children the right way, now he's a, he's a spiritual dad to, to Timothy. He's not his real dad. He's a spiritual dad. If we are spiritually parenting those, those less than us, spiritually speaking, we should get to a point where we can't wait to unleash them for God to do what he's going to do through them. I can't wait to hear testimonies about not only my own kids, but 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 Celeste and Duke's kids and and other kids that that grow up in Sunday school. I I can't wait to hear how Bubba Luke will will, will impact the world. And he'll say, I remember that one time Miss Carla brought this goofy looking toy in here and she used it to teach me dot dot dot, whatever it was. I I remember how she 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 stood up and danced and gave this little egg shaker and, and made all this noise. But it got my attention enough for me to put down Bink Bink to listen to whatever. What's his name? Whatever. Right. (laughs) To to, to get zoned in just enough to hear what she was wanting to teach me about the Bible. Church, think about this. We laugh about it, but isn't that real? Can you imagine? Can you imagine when we gather maybe at weddings or, or or at future things or at the birth of their first children or whatever it is? Can you imagine when we gather and we remember back? Man, do you remember when dot dot dot? Do you remember when you first? Decided to join Brookhaven and, and things begin to, to change in your life. Do you remember when when the first time you stood up on your own for faith and you didn't need somebody else to stand up for you and make it? Do you remember? And, and we'll do that. We'll do that because we can't wait to unleash others for ministry. That, that Even for our own children, we can't. And, and church, uh, parents, I know when when school starts back next year or whenever it starts back, part of you are going to be thrilled to get them out of the house. I understand that. OK, but part of you are going to have this this little bit of fear still they be like, man, I, I don't know if I want them. Not, not just back in the in the in the physical danger, but back in the psychological danger. Man, I've, I've had all this time to kind of make sure their brains was getting shaped and fed with what I wanted to shape and, and feed them with. I, I unleash them. If you've done your job, you can confidently unleash them back to where they need to be going. Now I'm not saying you don't have restrictions. I'm not saying you don't follow them at every moment and pay people to give you tabs on where they're going and what they're doing. Okay? All right? But I'm saying you also can have a little bit of confidence in unleashing them and to be in it and going and doing it and becoming who you've raised them to be. Hey, let me ask you, is Timothy the type of son or daughter you want to raise? Just think about it. And then think about this. The tower that, that can be built is only built if it's on the right foundation. If it's on the right foundation. That's on us. That's in our houses, not our schools, not our books, not our churches. It's in our houses. And if you have a mother that's building that foundation, you better honor her. You better respect her. You better cherish her. You better thank God that she is a really, really mean person for a really, really long time, right? Because it's what you need during this time. If you're a mom, if you're a grandma, you're on a mission, man. The values you're leaving your children are much greater than the valuables you're leaving. them. The values you leave are much greater than the valuables you're leaving. Now, I don't know exactly how proud you are or unproud you are, but I can't think of a better day to commit to being a better parent than today. I can't think of a better day to commit to wanting to spiritually mature people and spiritually parent others than a day like today when we look at those that have not only been actual moms, but spiritual moms to Paul. And if you're one of the brat children, I can't think of a better way and a better day than to start honoring moms. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for this day, Lord, that was Decided years ago, Lord God, by a president that women needed to be honored. Got a president that probably saw them the the same way that you and your son saw them in scripture, Lord God, that they needed to be respected, that they needed to be crowned, Lord God. Because the purpose and the calling, Lord God, that you have for them is far greater, Lord God, than what we've made it out to be. God, I pray that you use this morning, God. God, you use stories that we flew through all throughout Scripture, and you use specifically things that were written about Timothy, Lord God, in this letter from Paul. God, use them to inspire us, Lord God, to live for you in a way, Lord God, that will change everything. God, help us as parents, Lord God, to raise up children that we are proud to unleash into the ministry. And God, if we've been the knuckleheaded children, Lord, open our hearts and our minds to see That our loving slash mean parents sometimes, matter of fact, all the time, Lord God, have our best interest, your best interest for us and their hearts. And that's the way they that's the reason they are the way they are. God, we thank you. We love you in your great name. We pray. Amen.